Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to our study in the book of Romans. Uh, tonight, we're going to be in chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 16, and the title of our lesson uh, is An Impartial God. Now, I want to say up front that, you know, when you say that we've got an impartial God, I, I just want you to know that is not good news. It's not meant to be good news from Paul. And I want you to keep that in mind as we move through our lesson. There's an ancient story of a Roman emperor, a guy by the name of, of Brutus the Elder. And uh, he had two sons, and these sons tried to overthrow the government. And the penalty for that was, uh, was death. And so uh, they were brought before him, and of course everybody wondered uh, what he would do as his, as his sons pleaded and, and cried for their lives. And he said this, to the executioners, I deliver my son, the his, or my sons. Now, the historian who recorded this wrote this. It says, in this sentence, he persisted, despite the weeping intercession of the multitude and the cries of the young men calling upon their father. The executioner seized them and struck off their heads, and Brutus looked on the bloody spectacle with unaltered countenance. Thus, the father was lost in the judge. You see, that's how it's going to be with God someday. Right now, he offers himself to us and to the world as a loving father, but the day is coming when the father will be lost in the judge. And what kind of God, judge is he? Well, Romans 2.11, our very first verse tonight, says God shows no partiality. Rome, uh, Psalms 33.5 said he loves righteousness and justice. Psalms 89.14 says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So not only is he impartial, not only does he love righteousness and judgment, but he demands the same of us. Very long time ago, when they first, way back in the Bible, when he first gave the law to Moses in Leviticus, he said this, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. And of course, in James 2, 1 through 4, he says, My brothers and sisters, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you will pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, Hey, sit over here in the good place. And you say to the poor man, No, you go stand over there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And he goes on to say, If you show partiality, you commit sin. You see, the scriptures are clear that partiality is a sin, and God absolutely hates it. Well, why does he dislike it and detest it so much? Because it's a deviation from his character. You see, God is impartial in his judgment. But let me say this about that, God. He's also fair. And when I mean he's fair, I mean he will judge us based on the amount of knowledge that a person had. Uh, now, once again, this is not good news. Paul doesn't mean this to be good news. And we'll see why. Luke chapter 12, 47 to 48, Jesus tells a parable. And it's about an owner or a master of a house who goes away and he leaves his servants in charge to take care of things. And Jesus said this, And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes 
shall be beaten with few. This idea of being judged according to knowledge is not only true for unbelievers, but for believers. For example, James 3.1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So I introduced this lesson talking about the impartiality and fairness of God, and I did that because that's exactly what our passage today, verses 11 through 16, is going to be teaching us. Now, as we get into this passage, Paul is going to divide people into two groups. Now, the first group is a group, and we're going to call them without the law, because that's what, that's what Paul calls them. Let's, let's read verses 11 and 12. Paul says, For there is no partiality with God, for as many as have sinned without law. Now, let's stop right there. This is the group that does not have the law of God, and he's talking about the Mosaic law. These are the Gentiles. These are the, the people groups that they didn't have a Moses. They didn't have a, an Isaiah or a Jeremiah or an Ezekiel or a Malachi. They, they didn't have any biblical writers. Or, or to put it another way, they had no written revelation of God. Now, Paul doesn't mean that they don't have any law at all. In fact, he'll get to that in just a few verses. He just means that they don't have any special revelation from God like the Jewish people did. Now, here's the question. Well, what happens to this group of people? If they didn't have the rules, so to speak, or the law, is God going to judge them? Uh, is he going to hold them responsible? How, how can they be responsible for keeping the rules if they didn't know what the rules were? That's a really good question, and the, and the answer to that is yes, he will judge them. Yes, he still holds them responsible. Let's read our verses 11 and 12. For there is no partiality with God, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. You see, here's the thing we have to understand. Man still sins even though he may not have the written law of God. He's still guilty. See, knowing the law, knowing the rules, so to speak, is not a precondition of sin. In fact, in, in chapter 3, Paul will say the law only reveals the sin that's already there. Here's the best way I can explain this to you. Let's say you're going down a road and you, you've, you've been traveling for four or five miles and you haven't seen any speed limit signs. And so your foot's a little heavy and you're going 70, 75 miles an hour. And then you come around a curve and there's the speed limit sign and it says 65. Well, see, the thing is, you were speeding three miles back, right? You may not have known it, but you were still speeding. When you saw the sign, it just revealed to you what, you, what was already true, the fact that you're a, a speeder. That's exactly what the law does. It's not a precondition um, of sin. It only reveals what we're already doing. It's exactly what Jesus said in that parable. Let's go back and read it. And he says, But that servant who did not know his master's will, or he, he did not know what to do, yet still committed things deserving of stripes. You see, he still disobeyed. He still sinned. But he will only be beaten with a few. Now, that's the first group. Now, there's also a second group. We'll call them in the law because they have the rules. They have the law. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Now, this group's punishment is going to be harsher 
It's what Jesus said, that servant who knew his master's will. They had the rules right in front of them. They had the law, and yet they still disobeyed it. They will be beaten with many stripes. Now, immediately, two questions or two objections come up. And again, as I've said numerous times, Paul's heard them all in his travels and his preaching around the Mediterranean. Now, one question is going to come from the religious group, the ones that have the law. The other question is going to come from the non-religious group, the one that, that didn't have this law. So let's look first at the ones that's going to come from the Jews or the ones that had the law. And this is the question that Paul knows they're going to ask. They're going to say, now, wait just a minute, Paul. We've been the guardians of the law. We, we've been given the law. We've wrote it down. We've, we, we, we've, we've copiously copied it and made sure there were no mistakes. And shouldn't we get a break? Should, shouldn't the ones that have, have protected the law and guarded the law, shouldn't we be protected from God's wrath, from God's judgment? Or maybe... We could find somebody in modern times who would say something like this. Now, wait a minute. I've been going to church my whole life. I've been religious. I've, I've taught Sunday school. I've helped out with the ushers ministry. I've, I've given money to the church. Shouldn't I get a break? Shouldn't that count for something? You see, Paul's reply to this is direct and to the point. Look at verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. The word, the Greek word that uh, Paul uses here for hearers is akrotes, and it's not the normal Greek word to hear. It's the word that would be used of like a student. The idea is you've heard it over and over and over again, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and somehow you never moved from being a hearer to being a doer. You see, God's law doesn't protect hearers from judgment. In fact, on the contrary, the more you hear, the stricter the judgment. Or the more you know, the more you're responsible for. The Bible tells us clearly, clearly to whom much is given, much will be required. Now, there's a second question that comes from those who didn't have the law. They didn't have all these things uh, written down. And they say this, now wait a minute, Paul. We never had the laws. We never knew what the speed limit was, if, if, so to speak. How can you condemn us for not obeying something that we didn't have? Shouldn't we be exempt because of our ignorance? Now, let me tell you, that is an extremely fair question. I mean, it's a question we all ask. By the way, don't we see this all the time? We have a rule kind of in our society that ignorance of the law is no defense right? We, we're kind of responsible for knowing it, but, as, but if we don't know it, the first thing we want is we want to break. Well, I didn't know, and that's a very fair question. That's exactly what this user or this, uh, uh, this person that Paul's dealing with would be asking. What about someone who never had access to the Bible? How can you condemn somebody for not obeying something they never had heard? How can you hold those people responsible? Again, that's a very fair question. Now, here's Paul's answer. He's going to answer this for us. Look at verses 14 and 16. He says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, they don't have the Mosaic law, they don't have all these rules and all these regulations and things written down. When they don't have the law, by nature they do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, 
who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, what's Paul saying? First thing he's saying is you don't have to have a written law to be responsible. Because every single one of us have a law written down inside of us. We call this the natural law or, or the moral law. And it's made known to us through our conscience. That's what he means when he says, by nature, you do the things in the law. See, you can go around to, to really any culture in the world. And you'll, it can be Muslims or it can be Hindus or it can be uh, just a, an Amazonian tribe that's never been contacted by modern men. And I guarantee you they're still doing things that are written in God's law. And they're doing it without ever reading God's law. And by doing that, it proves they know the difference between right and wrong. It proves that God has put something inside of them that he calls the law of God. For example, there's not a culture out there that thinks it's okay not to pay your debts. There's, there's, every culture out there has some semblance of honoring your, your parents or loving your spouse. Listen, you may go to different cultures and this culture may say you can only have one wife and this culture may say you can have more than one wife, but you won't find a culture out there that says you can have any woman that you want to. There, there's, that doesn't exist. Pagans care for their children. They feed the hungry. Uh, go try to find a culture that thinks it's okay to kill and steal. You won't find that. It's like the Ten Commandments are, are written down deep inside of us. Now listen, this does not mean that man is basically good. In fact, Paul's going to say in chapter 3, there is no one good, not, not a single one. And I'll touch on this at the end of the lesson. But what there is, is there's a sense of rightness within us that God has put in us, this natural law, this moral law, that keeps us from being as bad as we possibly could be. So even the, the ethna, which is the word that Paul uses here, the heathens, the pagans, the Gentiles, they're not exempt from the judgment of God. They may not have the written word, but they have the law of God, the knowledge of God, the reality of God written inside their heart that's made known to them through their conscience. And they're responsible for what they do with it. Listen, I was thinking, trying to think of an example and I think there's one that stares us in the face every single day. You know, there's a lot of people out there today that are, that are uh, behind this movement of, of Black Lives Matter. And behind this idea of Black Lives Matters is this basic fundamental thing that life matters. Listen, that is absolutely true. Life matters. Black lives, white lives, every single life matters. That is ingrained in us. So this idea of life matters is absolutely true. And the very fact that they'll stand up and, and promote this idea shows that that's on the deep inside of them. But yet the very same people that promote this idea, that show they have the, uh, the, the law of God, the natural God law written in their heart, that same group says nothing when a thousand black ch children are killed every uh, single day in America. See, this is, the, this is the problem with human beings. On one hand, we've got this law. And on the other hand, we disobey it every single day. Now, I want to touch on one thing before I close here. And that is that statement I said earlier. 
As a matter of fact, I've got that from Romans 3.12. No one does good, not even one. What does Paul mean by that? There's a scripture in Acts, Acts 10.34, and I've given it to you here in three different uh, translations. Peter says this in the NIV, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. In the ASV, or the American Standard Version, he said this, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And then the ESV, he said, I understand that God shows no partiality. Well, why does it translate it differently in these different versions? Because in the Greek, the word is made up of a combination of two words, face and the word receive. So if you, if you literally looked at this in the Greek, Peter says, I realize how true it is that God does not receive face. Now, what does that mean? Like we said earlier, God doesn't judge on the outside. He doesn't judge by, by what we see on the outside. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, God doesn't judge on the basis of an outward appearance, but on the basis of the heart. You see, God always judges rightly according to what's real, according to truth. He sees our inside. He sees our motives. He always knows our deeds for what they really are. Let me give you an example. Two people work in a soup kitchen. Side by side, they're doing the exact same thing. One of them is doing it for purely selfish reasons. Maybe it makes them feel good about themselves. Maybe they feel like they're paying back some debt to society because of the blessings that they've received. For whatever reason they're doing it, God is not even in their thoughts. The other is doing it because they know it pleases God. The other is doing it because it commands us to feed the hungry. So on one hand, you've got one person is self-seeking and the other person is God-seeking. See, from the outside, they look exactly the same, but God knows the difference. He always knows the difference. Two people pray. One person does it so that other people can see them and pat them on the back and say how spiritual they are. The other one does it to talk to God. See, one is self-seeking, the other is God-seeking. And once again, God always knows the difference. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with being, quote, good. In fact, we should encourage that in our society. But listen, don't ever make the mistake and think that good works done for the wrong motive is the same as true righteousness. Let me say that again. Don't ever make the mistake that, that good works done under the wrong motives are the same as true righteousness. You see, all of your good works done for the wrong motives, they're just filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. Maybe you did it for a lot of reasons. Maybe you did it to salve your conscience. Maybe you did it to relieve some guilt. Maybe because peer pressure. Maybe it was to feel good about yourself. Maybe it was to earn a reward. There's a lot of reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with God. You see, whatever reason was, if you didn't do it to glorify God, to obey His Word, to, to honor Him, your heart's not right. And God always judges a work based on the heart. See, that's why I said earlier, this is not good news. This is not good news. God doesn't stand there and say, yeah, I'm going to let you off because you didn't know. God doesn't stand there and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you off because you did some good stuff, even though your heart... No, God is absolutely impartial. So why is it not good news? Because nobody on their own can seek glory and honor and immortality. Nobody on their own can produce truly righteous and good works from, a, from the right motives in their heart. We don't even have the capacity to do that. See, this is the indictment that Paul is bringing. Here's the standard. If you want eternal life instead of eternal wrath, 
then you've got to produce works in your life that are works of true righteousness. And we absolutely cannot do that. You see, Paul is trying to make everyone, all of us, the, the pagan, the moral person, the Jew, whoever it is, he wants us to see that we are in big, big trouble. Because if God is going to judge us impartially based on the true condition of our heart, we have no chance. Paul's trying to convince us of our dilemma that we need a Savior. And he's doing this now in chapter 1 and chapter 2. So as we get to chapter 3, he can provide the answer to us. And that is Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible chapter uh, of the book of Romans. And, and Lord, um, we know what Paul is trying to do. And uh, so I just ask you, Lord, that we understand this. We, we, we capture this not just in our mind and with our ears, but in our heart. And that we actually begin to look at our lives and see, am I just a hearer or am I a doer? God, help us be doers. Help us to obey your will. Help us to obey your word. Help us to do it the right way so that people can see our truly good works and glorify your name. We ask all this in the name of your Son. Amen.